You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. Hey guys, welcome back to Online Calvary. And we are so glad that you're joining us once again. And we're starting a brand new series today. And I am thrilled to be bringing it to you. So, as we get started, let me ask you this question. Uh, are you or anybody in your house a pro wrestling fan? Now, I grew up as a huge fan of the WWF as a kid. Uh, I remember the first, I'm old enough to remember the very first WrestleMania. And uh, my brother and I actually split the 20 bucks to pay for pay-per-view for the first WrestleMania. So when I grew up, uh, it was the 80s, which was the heyday of pro wrestling. So it was Jimmy Superfly Snooka, uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Andre the Giant, uh, the Junkyard Dog, if you remember him, uh, Randy Macho Man Savage, and of course, the Hulkster, Hulk Hogan. And uh, now I have to make, an, uh, make a confession that is going to be totally lame. And that is, I was the last kid in my neighborhood to find out that wrestling wasn't real. Now, there was, my friends would tell me, because I'd talk about wrestling, oh, did you see what happened? And they'd, they'd say, now, Robert, wrestling isn't real. And I'd say, shut up. Yes, it is. And now, and, and I'm telling you, I'd get into full-blown arguments with my friends about this whole idea of whether wrestling was real or fake. And the, the thing is, is that, that I learned how to fight. And I grew up in an area of Boston called Brockton, which is kind of a rough neighborhood, home of Rocky Marciano and Marvin Hagler, marvelous Marvin Hagler, by the way. And uh, so it's, anyway, I learned how to fight, watching wrestling and watching all the Rocky movies. And so I remember one day there was this kid on my block whose name was Michael, and you know we got into an argument, and then a scrap ensued. And if you're not my age, you're like, what is a scrap? A scrap is a word for a fight, like a street fight back in the day. So anyway, a scrap ensued, and uh, and I I took, I, I I mean I went off, and but the problem is I started using all wrestling moves on Michael. I put him in the figure four leg lock, and. That didn't really work, so I flipped them and I put them in a Boston Crab. Now, you might be Googling these phrases, feel free. And so, then uh, I gave him a suplex and a pile driver. The problem is, none of these wrestling moves actually worked, uh, which caused some problems in, in the fight. And uh, I had to resort to more uh, the moves that I learned from Rocky fighting Clubber Lang in uh, Rocky Three. So, now, but here's the point is that all of us have wrestled. And you're saying, oh, I wasn't in wrestling. No, all of us have wrestled. We've wrestled with decisions. We've wrestled in relationships. We've wrestled in parenting our kids. And, and whether you want to acknowledge it or not or realize it or not, all of us have wrestled in our relationship with God. Because there's a prayer that hasn't been answered, and then we wrestle in the season of waiting. There's something that we want God to do, and he hasn't done it, and we wrestle with the idea of God being sovereign and having the final authority in our lives. And we wrestle because things are unresolved that we wish would be resolved. And while we want to trust and believe, sometimes we're wrestling because we just don't understand why God is doing the thing that he's doing the way that he's doing it. 
And then as Christians, we, we, we feel guilty about wrestling because we think that it means that we don't love God, we don't trust God. And, and I wanna share a different perspective with you today. I, I want you to know that many times wrestling with God is a good thing. And here's the reason why, because it means you care. It means that you want to do the right thing. It means that you want, in your heart, you want to do God's will. You want God's will to be done. You're just struggling with how it's going to happen. And so what I want to do in our time together is I want to introduce you to who I believe is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. And, and it's not a pro wrestler. Um, it's actually a biblical character who uh, wrote a short book in the Old Testament, in an area of the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures that are called the Minor Prophets. Now, the reason why they're called the Minor Prophets uh, is because not because they lack importance, but because the books are shorter. And that's just how the Bible is divided up. And so you have the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. You have the books of history, which tell the history of the nation of Israel. You have the books of poetry, like Psalms and Proverbs. And then you have the, what are the major prophets, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And then you have what are called the minor prophets. And that's how the Bible is kind of divided up. And then, of course, you get to the New Testament and all that. But the minor prophets are these shorter books, some of which are just one chapter, a couple of chapters. And, and the guy that we're going to look at is a guy that wrestled with God, struggled with what God is doing. And I love the fact that his prophecy and his struggle is preserved for us. And he's one of Israel's greatest prophets. His name is Habakkuk. And I know that that's kind of a weird name. It's a, it's a Hebrew name. And the very name Habakkuk means to embrace or to wrestle. And he was a prophet in the southern kingdom of Judah around the time of around 620 to about 606 BC. Now, I need to give you a quick history lesson for the, just to kind of give you a little bit of background for the upcoming few, couple of messages that we're going to do. At the time that Habakkuk is a prophet, and this time around 620 or so BC, the nation of Israel is divided into two kingdoms. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. So let me back up. In 1000 BC, approximately, King David was king. Then his son, Solomon, became king. Solomon dies. He, put his, he puts his son, Rehoboam, to become king. And that's around the year 931 BC. He said he was going to raise taxes to a ridiculous degree. And yes, if you can believe it or not, you know, 3000 years have gone by and people are still complaining about taxes. And because he wasn't going to give people any tax relief, the nation ended up splitting. The 10 tribes to the north became their own country called Israel. The southern kingdom became their own country called Judah with Jerusalem as its capital. Now the problem starts where the northern kingdom had 20 kings, all of them bad, all of them wicked, each one worse than the one before. They were sent prophets throughout their history, about you know over a 200-year history, to get them to turn back to God. And when they didn't, the, the kingdom that was conquering everything, a kingdom called Assyria, came in uh, 722 and wiped them out. And that's kind of the last that we hear of the northern kingdom. So this now just leaves the southern kingdom, these two tribes of Benjamin and Judah, which is why it's called Judah, because Judah was the larger tribe. And this is where we pick up Habakkuk's story. The northern kingdom is gone, and the southern kingdom is inching its way to the same level of wickedness that the northern kingdom has, had fallen to, and then, of course, 
experience judgment. And this is where we pick up the story of Habakkuk. And here's the thing that you have to understand is that this 2,600 year old story has never been more relevant than it is now. And if you are wrestling with what God is doing in your life, what God is doing in the world, what God is doing in, in your world, in your home, then listen, Habakkuk is gonna speak to you. So we're gonna start in chapter one, in verse one, here's what we read. It says, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. And then here's his, his prayer. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice goes, never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment or crooked judgment proceeds. If you give me your attention, Habakkuk is struggling with the very same thing that every thinking person struggles with. He's asking the question, if there's a good God, why is there evil in the world? And he's saying, I'm praying and nothing's happening. All I see is evil gaining ground and good people getting hurt. It's gotten to the point where even at the end, he, at the end of verse four, he says that the wicked surround the righteous and perverse or crooked judgment proceeds. I mean, you can't even get justice in the court system because that's totally corrupt as well. Now, here's the other thing that you need to understand is that everyone who's getting hurt and everyone who's doing the hurting are all part of the southern kingdom of Judah. They're all Jewish. And so in all of this is that Habakkuk is seeing people who should know what the right thing is. And he's saying, God, do you see what your people are doing to each other? Now listen, contrary to what some think, that they believe that belief requires checking your brain at the door, Christianity is a thinking man's faith. Christianity challenges us to struggle with the weird or, or, or to struggle with the real questions as, as um, challenging as, as they might be. And here's why, because most of our growth comes in the struggle with these weird questions. And so let me pose this for you. If a person is an atheist, they no doubt follow a Darwinian philosophy, right? Survival of the fittest. So only the strongest of every species should survive. And so if that's the case, why is everybody at home? Why aren't we outside living our lives so that the virus only affects those that are weaker and so the strongest survive. Here's why. Because when it really comes down to it, most of us don't actually believe that. You see, we have compassion, and, and, and compassion doesn't factor in to the Darwinian atheistic philosophy. The very exercise of us staying home is proving that we care about those who have maybe a compromised immune system or those who might be at greater risk. Proving that we're created in God's image and that we're willing to sacrifice for the sake of those who are more susceptible. So Habakkuk shares this prayer and God in his grace answers and here's what he says. He says, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe though it were told to you. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation. 
which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. For all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold for they heap up earthen mounds to seize it. Then his mind changes. He transgresses. He commits offense and ascribes this power to his God. And if you pause there and give me your attention, here's God's response. Hey, buddy, I'm about to blow your mind because here's what I'm going to do. I know you're saying my people are bad, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, who are the Babylonians, and they're going to invade and take these people captive. And God describes what they're going to do. In verse 6 that we read, he says that they're going to possess the land of Judah. In verse 9, he says that they're going to roll in with violence to take captives. In verse 10, it says that no king can stop them and nor, no fortified city can hold them back because they build these earthen ramps. That is, they move uh, dirt and they actually create this ramp that goes over the walls to conquer them. The Assyrian Empire... Uh, developed that strategy, and then uh, the Babylonians took it over as they were conquering the rest of the world. And the Bab so they're taking that out of their, their playbook. But the last thing that God says is the real kicker. In verse 11, he says that Babylon does this, are successful in their wickedness, and then they thank their God for their success. Now, these are the people that God says, I'm raising them up to kick my people out of the land and take them captive. And, and you're thinking, hold on, what? And, and, and you can, now, let me, before you say, I don't even know how to answer that. Well, let me show you what Habakkuk's answer to that is, and it might be yours. Here, here's verse 12. He says, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, the Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of pure eyes and to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and, and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? And why do you make men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with a hook and catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their, uh, incense to their dragnet. Because of them, their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? Habakkuk, if I can translate that in just two words, he's, he's, God says, I'm going to send in the Babylonians and that's who's going to take care of it. And, and all those five verses is essentially Habakkuk saying, wait, what? I mean, it just, he's in shock. He's saying, I know that we're bad, but you're going to, you're, no, you need to use us to wipe them out because, I mean, we might be bad, but they are horrible. And so he, and then Habakkuk lays out the case for why God should judge them. And he says, God, I don't know if you're aware of this, but these are really bad people and you're really good, which means if they're bad and you're good, then, you know, you guys shouldn't be on the same team. 
And here's the truth. I mean, he's not exaggerating. The Babylonians were brutal. And their soon-to-be king, Nebuchadnezzar, at this point, his father, Nabopolassar, was king. But soon after, his son, Nebuchadnezzar, would be king. And Nebuchadnezzar was out of his mind. And so Habakkuk is beside himself uh, that this is the plan that God is going to use. Now, here's the thing that you need to know. Part of the problem that Judah had was idolatry. The worshiping of, of other gods that, that, would, that was causing their hearts to, to now do incredibly awful things to one another and to themselves. Now, here's the thing. When, when I say idolatry, I don't want you to immediately think about, you know, golden statues and wooden trinkets. But idolatry can happen today. It can happen with any person. Idolatry is anything other than God that captures my highest affection. Whatever I will sacrifice for, that's what I worship. And well, the Babylonians did come in 606 BC. And then when Israel or Judah rebelled, they came again in 597 BC. And then when they rebelled again, they came in 586 BC and destroyed the city of Jerusalem and took most of the people captive. And then God tells them that it's going to be 70 years before you come back. And when the people finally come back, they never struggle with idolatry again. And see, here's the problem with idolatry. Idolatry demands everything and never delivers. We give it everything, hoping that, it's gonna, that, that it'll, it'll, it'll make it happy. It'll, it'll give us meaning and, and, and it'll, it'll, it'll give us joy. And in the end, it never delivers what we're hoping that it could bring. It's why careers can become an idol. It's why pleasure can become an idol. It's why seeking approval can become an idol. It's why money and power can become an idol. And it's not like any of those things by themselves are bad. It's not like pleasure by itself is bad or that a career is bad or that someone approving of what you do is bad. But when those become ultimate things, instead of bringing us joy, they rob us of joy. And this is what God wants us to deliver us from. And see, sometimes it can just be taken away and sometimes it has to be removed like a tumor is removed. But either way, it's got to get removed or it's going to kill us. But then after that second complaint, it's almost like there's this moment that Habakkuk has where he says, okay, this is his complaint. And then he says something that's so wise that I actually, for the last few minutes that we have, I want to focus on it. He says this in chapter two, verse one, after he says his piece. And then he says this, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart or the fortress and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I'm corrected. In that one little verse, Habakkuk is making three decisions about his wrestling with God and how he feels kind of pinned down and what God is doing, like, uh, what am I going to do? And, and, and I think it would serve us well in the season that we find ourselves in to employ them. Here's the first one, if you're taking notes. And that is, the first thing that he says is that I will be faithful in my calling. I'll be faithful in my calling. Habakkuk says he's going to go up on the rampart, which is the watchtower section of a fortress, and he's going to stand his watch. And here's why this is important is because too often when we disagree with someone, and this happens certainly with spouses, we disagree with our spouse, we disagree with God, and then we think that that lets us off the hook about what we're supposed to do. 
Once again, I've, I've been meeting with couples for the better part of 20 years, and I can tell you that that's what happens. Well, why, what happened? Well, she stopped doing that, so I stopped doing that. He stopped doing that, so I stopped doing that. And, and, and what happens is, like, you never get to where you want to be. If you think, want things to get better, you want to understand, you want to have clarity, you want to get through the season of wrestling, you've got to be faithful in your calling, the thing that God has called you to do. In the Gospel of John, Jesus said these words, he said this, if anyone wills to do his will, that is God's will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it was from God or whether I speak on my own authority. So let me talk about that for a second. People were amazed at Jesus' teaching. They're amazed uh, because Jesus' words were so powerful. And then Jesus says, these teachings aren't mine. They're my father's. And in verse 17, he says, if so anyone wants to do God's will, he'll know whether it, what I'm saying is true or not. And I believe that there's a key there to understanding God's will, and this is it. And he gives us kind of the secret, and that is, if you, you want to do God's will, all right, so look, then do what you know. If you will do what, you'll know, what you know, then you'll know what to do. If you do what you know, you'll know what to do. When I obey the commands of God that I already know, the things that I don't understand start to become clearer. And a lot of times, listen, we get stuck on something. We get fixated on something where we don't know what to do and it just stops us in our tracks. No, don't. that's a bad strategy. You keep walking in obedience to God. You keep be being faithful in your calling and what you know God has already called you to do. And then you know what God will do? He'll reveal the things that you don't understand. And when you're obeying God and the things that you know, doing what you know you're supposed to do, God has a way of taking our obedience and multiplying it. A couple of years ago, my son and I were just having this conversation the other day. So to, um, my son is 10, and when he was turning eight, all he wanted for his birthday was a Nintendo Switch. I don't know anything about video games. Uh, I, my understanding of video games ended at Pac-Man, all right? So the Atari 2600 um, is, is, you know, I, my sister had a... Uh, the original Nintendo. So, okay, let's just say the original Super Mario is kind of as, as, you know, sophisticated as I get. Well, so I go to Target one day, uh, this is a couple years ago, and I say to the guy at Target, hey, I want to buy a Nintendo Switch. And the guy responds to me, <laughs> that's hilarious. And, and that's when I found out that they were really hard to find, that people were selling them on eBay for 500 bucks. I mean, it, it was like tickle me Elmo all over again. And so I start looking for, I mean, weeks, I'm looking anywhere I can to find uh, a Nintendo Switch. And I tell my son, uh, right, you know, probably two weeks before his birthday, and I'm like, buddy, listen, I have been looking high and low for a, a, a Switch for your birthday, and it might not happen. And, and he's just like, and he, you know, he's like, Dad, it's okay. I just want you to know I really appreciate that you went out of your way to look for me. And I'm thinking, you're, you're not even eight yet, and, and you have more maturity than most adults. And, and when he said that, like, hey, it's cool, Dad. Like, at that moment, I decided that I was going to move heaven and earth to find that switch. Because I just decided that attitude has to be rewarded. And I found one in central Florida. And it turned out that it was down the street from my mom's house. I called her, and she picked it up for me and, uh, and, 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 and mailed it to me. And, and here's the point. When God sees an attitude of trust, he acts. And listen, if you're struggling with what God is doing right now, and you're like, there's just so much I don't understand right now, then here's my encouragement to you. 
Be faithful in your calling right now. Be faithful in the things that you know God wants you to do. And watch how God blesses your life and brings joy in this season. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Not just that I will stand on my watch and set myself on the rampart, but the second thing that Habakkuk does is he says, I will be consistent in my devotion. The second part of that verse, he says, and I will watch and see what he will say to me. He's putting himself in a place where God can speak to him. Now, the prophet Jeremiah was a contemporary of Habakkuk. Uh, Jeremiah was a little bit older, but uh, meaning that they were prophets around the same time. And Jeremiah has a chapter in, his, in, in the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 29, where he actually sees the people leaving, where the people of, of Babylon had conquered Judah and now are carrying them away captive. And most of us, you're like, oh, Jeremiah, I know that one. I know Jeremiah 29, 11. But um, they take Jeremiah 29, 11 and apply it to themselves, and it doesn't apply to us. It's a, it's a promise that God is making to the people of Israel that their children are going to come back into the land 70 years after the captivity is open, uh, over. But while everybody focuses on Jeremiah 29, 11, the thing that we should be focusing on is Jeremiah 29, 13. That is the operative verse. And here's what it says. You'll see it on the screen. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. The reality is, is that a lot of times that's not how we're seeking God. You see, how does, how does seeking God with all of your heart look like? David in the Psalms said it. He said this in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you. You see, what's interesting is that a deer that's panting, it doesn't mean it's thirsty. A panting deer means it's dying of thirst. And David says, in the same way that a deer that is about to die would search for water, that's gonna be my attitude in seeking you. Listen, I, I've noted this, uh, by talking to thousands of people over the years. I, I've, I've noticed it from observing my own bizarre behavior at times over my life. And that is that we get into a jam and we seek God once. We read the Bible once. We pray one time. We seek out wise counsel one time. And, and we've just got to do better than that. We've got to seek God and we'll find him if we seek him with all of our heart. That is all of our effort, energy, and intention. We need to seek God like we seek out a late night snack. And I don't know if I'm the only late night snacker in God's kingdom in the quarantine era. But when you get up or try to get a late night snack and you open the fridge and nothing is there, and then you walk around, you go to the pantry and look in the cupboards. And then you know what you do? Even though you already looked in the fridge, you open the fridge again to see if something magically appeared that you didn't see the first time and nothing has changed. So now you're looking in the microwave, you're looking in the oven, you're seeing if there's some food that got left behind by some random person who used it last. And then you know what you do? You go back to the fridge and you open it, hoping against hope that something is there. And then you're like, a donut! I see a donut! And then you go to grab it and it's not a donut. It's a it's an onion that the middle has been popped out through the lens of this storage container. And what a letdown when you thought it was a powdered donut and it ended up being a Vidalia onion. And, and, and listen, if we would start seeking God, like we, sneak out, like we seek out our snacks, you know what would happen? We'd find him. And that's the secret. That's the thing that Habakkuk is saying. I'm just going to watch and see what he'll say to me. He's expecting that God's going to speak to him that God's gonna work in his life, that you make seeking God part of your daily life, especially in seasons of wrestling or struggle. 
because we need them now more than ever. Here's the last thing, is that I will be open to change. That's what Habakkuk says last. He says, I'm gonna wait and see what he'll say to me and then what I will answer or literally what I will turn back when I am corrected. That Hebrew word is translated many times. The word for answer is, is that I will turn back or I will come back. The idea is, is that, man, things look so bad, but when I start seeing things from God, God's perspective, I may have a totally different thought on this situation. There's a word for that. It's trust. And he has experienced God so many times being faithful in his life. He's learned to trust even when he doesn't understand. So listen, in this season of uncertainty, our first inclination is to eliminate uncertainty. And we think that, well, just more information is going to make it better. And, and you know that a lot of times more information rarely helps. It's information coupled with wisdom that changes our perspective. And here's the thing that Habakkuk is going to learn that we need to learn too, that God is good even when life is not. That life not being good in the moment can be an instrument in God's hand to bring about some good. And here's what I recognize is I, 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 I acknowledge this, that some of you listening to me, watching today, you might be going through a difficult time. And I want you to know this, that God knows and that God is work. He's working even when we don't feel like it, like he is. And I'm not asking you to stop wrestling. I'm asking you to wrestle better. That you might not be wrestling with God sometimes. You might be wrestling with your own inclinations, your own desire not to trust because the win in wrestling is not to be right. It's to be transformed by this experience. In fact, I mean, the only reason that some of us are, are watching today is because some things in our lives are totally out of control because of what's happening in the world. And if that's the case, then God is already using this bad thing to bring about good, to draw us closer to him. And maybe, maybe this is the moment where you've watched this and you, you've been checking us out for a couple of weeks and you've been talking to some people and, and, and you're at the place where you say, I need to invite Jesus to come into my life to forgive me. I want to start walking with him. God is my creator, but I want to in, embrace him as my heavenly father. And if that's the case, I want to pray for you and I want to lead you in a prayer as we close. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you that we can wrestle with these things that are happening in our world because you do love us. And I pray for those that are watching today that need to make a decision to start following you, that they want their sins forgiven because of what Jesus has done. And they want to experience the peace that comes from knowing you. So listen, if you want to invite Jesus to come into your life, to forgive you, I'm going to invite you to simply repeat this prayer. Just say, dear God, I come to you today and I'm sorry for all I've done wrong, but I thank you for Jesus who died for me that I might have life. I want to walk with you starting right now in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. 
You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.